0: That's triple E CS. It stands for Electronics, Electrical Engineering and Computer Science. My name is TJ Cosgrove. I'm the Technology and Innovation Officer for the School of Electronics, Electrical Engineering and Computer Science at Queen's University, Belfast. Our passionate staff and incredible students are at the forefront of 21st century technology, working in areas like artificial intelligence, data analytics, virtual reality, robotics, cybersecurity, smart grids and cloud edge computing. But what do these technologies actually do how do they work and what do they mean for our future? We break down the complex topics and explain the big ideas with our experts, researchers, staff and students. This is the Triple ECS podcast. So today I have with me Mr. Sean Ald and Dr. David Cutting. Thank you both so much for making the time.
1: No problem. Thanks for having us, Teacher.
0: Sean, could you give me a little bit about your education and your course at Queen's?
2: Yes, I am a final year student who is currently studying a bachelor's in aerospace engineering in the School of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering in
0: Queen's. Fantastic. And David, what about your background?
1: Um, So I'm a a lecturer in the School of Computer Science. I'm a long time hobbyist, amateur rocketeer.
0: Fantastic. And, And that's what we're talking about today. Amateur rocketry. Something that I have seen from afar and sometimes a little closer, and it's extremely interesting. But I, I don't pretend to know anything about it. Um, so amateur rocketry—it's—it's it's not just a firework with a camera on it, is it?
1: So I mean, there is a very long history of amateur rocketry, um, and one of the reasons why is because rockets are awesome um, and extreme <laughs> fun to play with. Yeah. And actually, some of the very earliest, or all of all of really the earliest um, work. In the West, on kind of um, rocket engines, w- were amateur groups uh, so people like Robert Goddard who who went out and built the first liquid fuel engine uh, these were These were people tinkering uh, in yards and fields um, to try and build things that flew because flight is is great and flight with flames coming out the back is even better. Uh, So in in the modern context, amateur rocketry is is generally hobbyists and people that have a significant interest in flight who are building what are sometimes called model rockets. They're not models. They're just small versions Mm. with engines in them to go about flight. Uh, Whereas a firework is very, very simple, single use. Its design is just to fly up and and go bang. Uh, Model rockets, on the other hand, amateur rockets, are very, very carefully constructed. Usually the idea is that you get many flights out of them. They go up and they're reusable. And obviously the the challenge is in using technology and modeling and actually applying rocket science, um, but not getting paid for it, to try and get higher and (laughs) faster for the same motors.
0: Fantastic. And those motors obviously come in different classifications. It's not the same as, uh, you know, bigger rocket, uh, more height. There's a bit more to it than that, isn't there?
1: Well, absolutely. So, I mean, the first thing to understand is that there's actually different types of motor. Um, So rocket engines, just a brief brief bit of science, rocket engines are what we call reaction engines. So how that works, you might have heard of of Newton's third law of motion. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. If you're sitting in a chair and you throw a big rock away from you, uh, that rock is thrown away, but you're pushed backwards. Um, So that's basically the principle. So a reaction engine works by firing out mass at speed Out of the bottom usually downwards uh, which results in a pressure upwards and the rocket goes up. Now the challenge really is one how much mass can you fire out and two how fast can we fire that out because we don't really want to be carrying lots and lots of weight just to throw it out of the rocket and the faster that they we fire that mass out the the more energetic the more thrust we have and you can see that with the hose you know if you turn a hose on and you point it it's gonna kind of, you know sort of come out the back and land maybe a meter away. Gradually as you put your thumb over the end, you increase the velocity. It's the same amount of mass, same amount of water coming out, but it comes out at a faster and faster speed. So you get more sort of velocity and more thrust. Eventually you've covered too much of the hose um, and the rocket that the pressure drops away again. So that's all the kind of science of trying to trying to get that to work. Um, mm. Generally there are a few different types of, of ways of fueling rocket engines. Uh, Liquid-fueled engines are what companies like NASA and and SpaceX or whatever would use. Very complicated uh, liquid hydrogen, liquid oxygen, uh, proper rocket science. But huge advantages. They're very efficient for what they are. Um, the mm. amount of thrust you get for the, for the weight of the fuel, and they're also throttleable, so you can speed them up and slow them down, which is something that's essential for manned spaceflight. So you don't arrive as a, a jam into orbit. <laughs> At yeah. the other end, you have um, solid rocket motors. So these these are very similar to fireworks. Um, it's it's a it's a compound. It's a solid black powder or some kind of um, chemical that's mixed together. These things, you like the blue touch paper and stand back. The advantage of them is they're, they're much simpler. Once they're built, you just light them and they go. Disadvantage they're not really controllable. Um, and once you've lit them, it's a one-way ticket, um, whether you like it or not. And then in the middle, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about in a little while, because it really applies to amateur rocketry, are a few other sort of ways of trying to do that. Um, so the two ends then, liquid fuel engines, very efficient, but incredibly complicated. Uh, very dangerous as well. Uh, and at the other end, solid fuel motors, um, simple, light, light paper, stand back, but obviously quite explosive in nature. The chemicals involved could be repurposed for other things if needed. Um, so that's how that's how the sort of rocket engines work.
0: And how does that, that breakdown in classification go, Sean? Is there obviously different levels of, of rocket engine for different scale of of ventures from sort of small little things right up to, model rockets that are you know, quite sizable?
2: Well, uh, yes, certainly there are. Uh, the main difference in them actually would really be how they're defined. As Dave said, There, uh, there is quite a crossover between fireworks and rocketry. They both use a propulsive source to get them up there. The uh, the main differences in them would probably be how they're defined. Mm-hmm. Uh, fireworks would use a classification that state how much safety distance is required for one to be away from the firework. And there are four main categories of this. So the first one would state the firework itself is safe to be used indoors, so that would be okay. So you're probably talking ones like small sparklers and things like that. Yeah. Uh, category two and category three ones state the distance it has to be away and are available to use for the general public and as a firework. Category two, I believe, is something like either 15 meters, and then category three, I think, is over 20 or possibly even 30. As as these categories go up. There is an increasing level of danger associated with them and an increasing amount of safety precautions that have to be taken with them. Amateur rocketry, um, on a similar note, also uses major classifications, being low power rocketry, which is what the majority of the conventional fireworks that we would be aware of would belong to, and high power rocketry. And both of these use different classes of motors um, or engines really to get the job done. And these motors are defined by different classes listed using letters. And each of these classes have a range of impulse, Mm -hmm. which is effectively the amount of power it's put out. So the higher the class, the higher the impulse. Effectively, the higher the rocket will go. But the higher the classification, the more intricate and more complicated the rocket will become. Mm -hmm. Low power rocketry is one of the classifications, which defines rockets from micro class up to G class. And they can really be launched by anybody who has the appropriate insurance and has reached out and has the relevant permission from local laws and legislation. And high-power rocketry gets, again, more complicated and intricate as it starts to define rather high-power rocket motors that require certifications that have to be awarded by a body within the nation that you belong to. So here in the UK, it's the United Kingdom Rocket Association, and you can launch any of the motor classes that belong to high-power rocketry without having the relevant certification in that level. Really, these amateur rockets can be built by anyone who wishes to build them, from prefab kits to sourcing their own materials, um, from launching a micro motor to a C-class or even up as high as a G-class, which could cost maybe tens of pounds, or even university teams that have stringently revised and analyzed these designs to make really effective rockets. with small flight computers and other electronic systems to monitor these things um, that can go Inwards to thousands of pounds, but realistically, that's still being done relatively cheap when you compare it to the millions that are being spent in the industry today um, to get something up into the sky.
0: Yes, that's really interesting. You mentioned the um, the electronics, the telemetry element of this because it's not just you know light the solid fuel and that's it. There's also other systems here at play for cameras and electronics and things like that. How do those blend together, Dave? The sort of the the explosive. Uh, flamey bit and the more complicated electronics and and software bit?
1: Well, I mean, hopefully, very carefully um, (laughs) would be the answer. I mean, absolutely, we are very interested when we're building these rockets in in a number of things. I mean, firstly, of course, yes, we want cameras and things like that on board. So they need to be powered and they need to be protected to support, to provide the uh, protection from the kind of shock of takeoff. Um, also, it's quite a dynamic environment, as you can imagine, during the acceleration phase. There's a, a lot of vibration coming through the body and things like that. So sort of stuff that um, electronics and delicate electronics especially don't really get on with. The other thing we're always interested in doing is finding out how the rocket performed. Fundamentally, the challenge often, as I sort of mentioned about sort of the engines, is you have a fixed engine, fixed amount of power. And it's about how can you build the most efficient rocket, um, you know, to handle that. And there's elements of is it going through the sound barrier? How is it going to handle that? How is it going to transition? So we'll often be interested in flying all sorts of electronics to capture acceleration, shock, lateral forces, every bit of data we can get um, to view how the flight went on. And usually these form a kind of telemetry package. The general rule of thumb is that you keep it as far away from the flamey end as possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, in, yeah, so in most amateur setups, the flight package is either actually in the nose cone or just behind the nose, um, mm-hmm. right in the front end of the of the rocket, which also helps with balance um, for various reasons uh, as well.
0: Brilliant. And, and, you know, what's the purpose of flying these? Is it all just fun is it? Is it the joy of of you know rockets? You know you're not SpaceX. You can't afford to buy up parts of California and send rockets to Mars. But we can you know, get an element of that with these small scale models. Or is there a lot of you know, scientific reasons that we can and and do use these?
1: Well, I think I think there's there's both really. I mean, firstly, I obviously hope the vice chancellor agrees with my funding and does buy up last swathes to South California so we can uh, <laughs> we can launch rockets from there. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, it is it is fun, of course it is, but it is actually quite a serious scientific endeavour, all the way from the base principles of flight right through to the machining, the engineering, putting everything together. And from my point of view, what I find fascinating about it is how interdisciplinary it is um, the rocketry projects at Queen's have been some of my most exciting things to work on because of meeting people like Sean and all sorts of other wonderful people from around the university that have these shared passions it's not a one-person job there's lots and lots of skills all the way from the fabrication the design the um, modeling uh, in, in sort of uh, computer simulations the the wiring of the electronics the testing the tracking the telemetry all of that kind of stuff so it's all fascinating all very geeky um but it is all genuine knowledge that you gain on the way
0: yeah and so what are the goals and ambitions of the the queen's rocketry projects you know what are the sort of the reaching things that you're looking for with these rockets that you're designing
2: well the the end goal would hopefully be to get something up past the Kármán line 100 kilometers up and into space but Right now, the, the main goal will be getting something up, being able to collect uh, telemetric data and analyze that data to see what we can get back and further improve the project as it goes down the line. The development of the, the software systems, as Dave was talking about, being able to get a more effective aerodynamic design onto the rocket to make sure we have less drag, um, basically to, to make this thing as effective as possible and mm-hmm. really push the project as far forward as we can, as quickly as we can.
0: Amazing. And how much of that is, is physical like making a nozzle or making a part of a rocket and how much of that is, is modeling it beforehand before you do any of the, the physical work?
2: I would say model and simulate as much as possible to reduce wastage as much as we can. Uh, we're mm-hmm. not in this to produce a load of things and then, oh, well, one out of 20 worked, we'll just scrap the other 20. Realistically, it would be simulated as much as possible, reduce waste as much as possible to produce as efficient and effective an end goal as we can.
0: Brilliant. And so once you get something up into space, obviously there's the, the potential of of leaving things there, you know, satellites, small things like that, that's might seem quite a long shot goal, but there are projects, you know, CubeSats and PicoSats where people put up small rockets. Now those are through um, commercial carriers, but you know, is that a long-term goal of the project is, is thinking about the possibilities of that, or at least looking at them and seeing what the engineering required is as a... An interesting project to work on
1: well we've always been quite interested in in the engineering of it um, i mean just to say the we were a long way away from the line Sean mentioned the country kilometer line which is the the officially seen boundary of space mm-hmm. and without boring you too much to get into orbit is then quite a lot beyond that. Um, yeah, orbital mechanics and yeah, yeah. So it, it turns out it's all rocket science. Um, Good <laughs> <laughs> guess. It's not as guess.
0: simple as science. <laughs> it sounds.
1: It's not. It's not. But we are fascinated with cubesats and also a thing called picosats, which are even smaller versions. So cubesats are generally around 10 centimeters. Um, each way, you know, 10 centimeter cube, and you can have you know, one unit, two units, three units, whatever. Um, and in fact, as part of this project, a group of us went over to the UK CubeSat and Satellite um, Centre, which is in Glasgow, believe it or not, so 20-minute flight away, and visited a couple of interesting companies there, because fundamentally the kind of the stuff, the telemetry, the radio links, all of that, is the same kind of challenges that we're looking to overcome. Um, in
0: our in our subtle, subtle flights, and so it's this project is a fantastic platform, I suppose, for those big challenges. You know if you can make a small scale rocket that can perform adequately and safely within tolerances uh, using the expertise and experience of everyone in Queens, all over the you know the whole swathe of engineering and, and beyond faculties. That's a really interesting cross-school project and it brings a lot of people's experience to bear on the problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's been one of the, as I mentioned, one of my most enjoyable parts of working on this has been the the wide range of people um, Mm -hmm. and the skills and techniques and the enthusiasm that's come over. Uh, Everything from, you know, computer modeling uh, to, you know, people who've actually made rocket nozzles that um, we're now moving towards testing uh, and lots of other items, the physical fabrication, the modeling, the software and all of that. And we've also been launching high altitude balloons um, to sort of verify the, the communications technology. So it's all just slowly moving forward. And each step. Yes, we are still a long way away from a from, so what flight. But each step is, I, I think, very enjoyable. And you learn a lot more from the process as you go through. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and you briefly mentioned earlier the the hybrid engines. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about those?
1: Yeah, sure. So I, I sort of mentioned the different types of rocket engine: the liquid fuel engine, where you have um, you know various um, chemicals you mix together and you ignite; very complicated but, but very efficient. And then solid fuel; um, it can be stored for a long time. It's very useful. You light it, it goes. Solid fuel is is dangerous. You need a huge explosive license to have it, and incredibly expensive. Liquid fuel is potentially dangerous, but also incredibly complicated. So in the middle is this idea about hybrid um, engine. So rocket engines don't breathe air, they're non-air breathing, they carry their own oxygen with them, basically. So part of the fuel that goes into it is the oxygen to come out. So a hybrid engine is where you carry an oxidizer, uh, usually nitrous oxide, laughing gas, um, it's used by, by dentists, and then a fuel, and that fuel can be pretty much anything, because anything burns, you get anything hot enough and you give it enough oxygen, anything will burn, so rubber, plastic, epoxy, resin, whatever, and you mix the two together, and you ignite them in controlled circumstances, they can be a bit hard to get lit, but once they're lit, they, they go. The big advantage it offers, it's not as efficient as a fully liquid fuel system, but it's hugely simpler. It, it's, it's simple to the point where even I can understand the components um, that go into it. You have a tank of oxidizer, you make a hot enough fire and you meet that to the fuel and it squirts out the back end off the rocket goes. And compared to solid fuel rockets, which are inherently explosive, you know, the, the fuel inside them mm. is very, very combustible individually the elements are fine you you have to work very hard to get it lit and it's also inherently very safe I mean there's still issues dealing with pressure gases and things like that but worst case you do it all remotely and the worst case is you leave it for a day and it boils off to the atmosphere yeah so that's what we've been looking at and that's not just an issue with Northern Ireland I hasten to add Um, although you can on the mainland buy larger amateur rocket engines we're still—they're still nowhere near what we would need in terms of thrust So get up. So hybrid would be the most obvious um, conclusion uh, for an amateur that wants to actually reach higher and higher.
0: So Sean, as a student, how have you found this project, you know, alongside your course? Because obviously, uh, sending a suborbital rocket is probably not one of your modules. How does that dovetail in with with what you're learning?
2: Um, It's very relevant to what we're learning, Uh, looking at some of my modules with respect to compressible flow and propulsion, aerodynamics, and other aspects of avionics systems. All of them, they all work hand in hand. They are all Mm -hmm. uh, subsystems of a rocket that you would have to look into designing, albeit my course would look more so in an avionics point of view with respect to commercial flight or military jets and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a huge crossover and lap into rocketry itself. So being able to take the ideas of studying the flow down down uh, wind of an airfoil, it's similar at uh, looking at the flow downwind of a rocket fin. Being able to see that oh this is a this is an optimized design to reduce drag to let it flow more efficiently. Um, the structural analysis that we've uh, done in aircraft structures would also relate to the fuselage of the rocket body. Being able to find the mm. smallest amount, the best support of material that we can. Um, to make it as light, efficient, and structurally sound as possible. Um, right up to the nose cone again with the aerodynamics and um, just flow analysis. It really it really all does come in and link very well. It's been a, it's been a very big motivator with respect to my studies um, as a side project, and it's something that I'm very happy to love. I should get myself into and meet the amazing people that I have, such as Dave.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's not bad for the CV either?
2: Oh, definitely not. <laughs> it, when, When you want to go into the space sector, having something such as working on a on a rocket project with your university will definitely go a long way.
0: Fantastic. And so what's next? I mean, where where are you currently with the project and and where do you see this this going in the next sort of 12 to 18 months?
1: Well, um, up. We hope to go up in the next 12 to 18 months. (laughs) Excellent answer. So, um, okay, so there's a few different threads to this which are going on. That's, again, one of the interesting and, and really good things about this. There's always something that can be being worked on. So we, we have been doing and will continue to do high altitude ballooning, uh, which is all about telemetry and tracking and how do things work in the um, the very harsh environments high up. We are hoping to start, we were on track to do just before, unfortunately, everything shut down, to start some very small, solid model rocket motors um, launching because we've, as mentioned to you, spoken to the PSNI and they've given us permission to procure some solid uh, rocket motors so we can start around the very sort of small scale. And then more generally, the engine project is pushing towards, actually putting together a hybrid engine and we'll do what we call a captive static test captive as in it doesn't go anywhere we absolutely have it tied down um, and a static test and we've identified a site uh, in a disused quarry uh, probably famous from game of thrones filming um, where we hope to ignite that and that over the next 12 to 18 months we really hope to get that built and an ignition and start our own engine up um, and then obviously from that point, that's, you know, the point where we can start instrumenting it, we can start tuning it, we can start looking at different nozzles and different configurations and ultimately try and get the biggest bang for our buck, uh, moving all obviously ultimately towards a non-captive launch where we put that engine in a rocket and and fire it off.
0: Fantastic. Very, very exciting stuff. I know that I've, I've sort of seen bits and pieces of this uh, around the office when we were in the office, and it's Fascinating As someone who's appreciated space from afar for a long time, it's really interesting to see elements of it brought down close and actually see small scale versions of of what big companies, you know, SpaceX, Boeing, NASA, what they're doing. These principles are the same, but the the rockets are just a little bit smaller.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the good thing about this is physics applies equally to everyone. And as Scotty says, you cannot change the laws of physics.
0: (laughs) I can't think of anywhere better to leave it. Thanks so much. Really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, TJ. Uh, thank you for having us. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, TJ.
0: You've been listening to the Triple ECS podcast. You can find us on our website, www.qb.ac.uk forward slash schools forward slash EEECS. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Q-U-B-E-E-E-C-S Triple E-C-S Inventing Tomorrow, Today